Would Florence Nightingale approve of a nurse who leverages her skills in acting and improv to create a highly successful nursing career? Let's talk all about medical improv and the godmother of nursing right here on episode 225 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I'm so grateful you're here, whether it's your first time tuning in or you've been hanging out with me here on the virtual airwaves for months or maybe even years. Thank you for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is all about you and your nursing career, and I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, and beyond. And did you know you can leave a rating and review for The Nurse Keith Show? That's right, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. And if you email me and tell me that you left a review, I will read your review and thank you in person on air. Meanwhile, if you want to see the show notes for this episode, you can follow along at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 225. We are here today with Dr. Candy Campbell, my friend and colleague. Hey, Candy, how are you? Hey, Keith. Great to talk to you again. Oh, great to talk to you. And I want to jump right in. We will talk about your career and all the amazing things you do and have done and are going to do in a little bit. But the first thing I want to ask you is, what's all this about Florence Nightingale and her 200th birthday anniversary? What's going on? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, you know, the people in London are excited about their national heroine, and they are getting together committees, and they have been since last year, knowing that 2020 is the anniversary of her 200th birthday. So wow. there are several people, including myself, there are 34 of us in what they are calling the Nightingale Society, where academics and historians and researchers who've all published about Miss Nightingale. And so most of us are North America, not all of us. Some of them are from University uh -huh. of Nottingham and other places in, in Britain. And we are doing our best to get a piece of the planning about the festivities around her birthday which is May 12th, wow. 2020. May 12th. So that actually falls within Nurses Week 2020. Indeed. Not a coincidence, I think. No. <laughs> no. Nurses Week revolves around her birthday, right? Yes, it does. It does. Yeah. And you know what I found interesting that I heard very recently, actually, was that the World Health Organization has declared 2020 the year of the nurse. Yeah. Right? The nurse and the So there's- the nurse and the midwife. So there's a lot going on around nursing and nurses in 2020. Now, I happen to know that you are leading a tour of Nightingale's London and Nightingale's Paris in May of 2020. So if people want more information about that, they should reach out to you because you're taking a bunch of people, probably a lot of nurses, to London and Paris. Exactly. I'm calling How it, cool is that? Yeah, the I'm calling it the Health History Tour because The Health History Tour. We okay. want it to be interprofessional and mm -hmm. that's because 
Well, when I started thinking about it and, oh my goodness, I hardly know where to begin. (laughs) Let me just say that I lived in London for two years, many years ago before I was a nurse. And when I realized through the Nightingale Society that we were planning on being there for her birthday, we are now figuring out and negotiating with different venues for where I might be able to perform the Florence Nightingale live show. Aha, yes. Yes. So then I thought, well, that would be a perfect time, actually, to take a small group. I really don't want to take more than about 15 people to Mm -hmm. learn more and see more about her London and a little bit of Paris. You know, she was an international traveler. Well, she didn't get to North America, but, you know, in terms Mm -hmm. of Europe, and she loved Paris. And what I found out as I was working with a tour company and an English tour company, there are so many museums in England and in France, well, London and Paris, particularly in that area, that have to do with medicine. So just to give you an idea, the very first night on May 8th, after we fly in on May 7th, we arrive on May 8th, we're going to be dining at the Royal Society of Medicine. Wow. I know. Awesome. The Royal Society of Medicine. Exactly. Wow. Will you get to meet with people there too? Well, I'm not sure what's going on at that time right now. So what I learned from the English tour company that I'm working with is that there are so many cool places in London and other places in Paris that are museums that when I lived there a long time ago, I never knew about because I wasn't really into medicine then. I was, you know, studying, acting and doing other things. And Mm -hmm. so the very first night that we arrive, uh, which will be May 8th, we are going to dine at the Royal Society of Medicine. <laughs> Just tickles me. And exciting. Yeah. And we're going to visit uh, so many other places. Like, for instance, we're going to, uh, what is it called? The Museum of Science. There's a Alexander Fleming, who was the, the doctor who discovered penicillin. His lab is there in St. Mary's Hospital. We're going to go visit that. We're visiting all sorts of interesting places, that, in, including the, um, the Body Museum. Remember that one? It, it's been... Oh, of course. Yeah. Yes. yes. And uh, many, many interesting places like that, in, mm-hmm. including, of course... Florence Nightingale's uh, burial site and uh, Salisbury Hospital has a a display of some of her um, accoutrement from her life. And uh, we'll see a lot of interesting things, not just about Nightingale, but just about the evolution of medicine in Britain, because they were a Mm -hmm. leader. They were a leader. Wow. That sounds really fun. And um, I know she traveled to Egypt too. Too bad you can't um, take everyone to Egypt. That's a whole nother story. I'd try. Um, <laughs> yeah. Going there, that would yeah. be great. Yeah. Now, you mentioned acting. So you studied acting. And I have seen you actually embody Florence Nightingale. You wear 
the costume, you speak as her. We had you on RNFM radio once upon a time on video. So we actually saw you doing the show because you have a solo show that you do around Florence Nightingale. And I know you even speak at conferences and even nursing school commencement ceremonies. And you can do that in costume and in character. Just saying. If anybody out there would like that. So you're you're a Nightingale scholar, you're an actor, you've written a book about her. So what do you want to tell us just in the bigger picture about your Nightingale activities outside of this trip that you're taking people on next year? I like to say that based on her 200 books and over 15 thousand letters that we have. I think they've kept, they're up to like 19,000. I have read most of everything that she wrote. There are, there are themes. I did a qualitative study on it and that's how I got the title of my book, Channeling Florence Nightingale, Integrity, Right. Integrity, Insight and Innovation. Right. And so I like to tell people that she is, she has a contemporary message for us. A lot of people think, oh, well, you know, that's just history. It's the way it was done. There's really nothing that's pertinent to today, but that couldn't be further from the truth. The the woman was brilliant, not only as a, a nurse leader and a visionary, but in the realm of statistics and population health, you know, she influenced mm-hmm. healthcare on four continents. And most of it was done when she was an invalid for the last 50 years of her life. It's really amazing. Yeah. And she basically created the practice of biostatistics, right? Indeed. Am I correct in that? Correct. Yeah. That's not an urban myth. She actually created it. So she has quite a legacy that still follows her to this day. And yes, we can, we can invoke her and it can be sort of sound kind of cliche, Florence Nightingale, Florence Nightingale, but her importance, I think, far outstrips any clicheness of invoking Florence Nightingale because of what we've carried forward from her all these 200 years. And I know you've read Lynn McDonald's five volumes, you know, she has all of the writings there. You have so many different things you've done around Florence. And I'm curious, have you interfaced with Barbie Dossie, my friend here in Santa Fe? She's a Nightingale scholar. Exactly. Barbie is probably, I'm, I have to ask her this. I think she might've been the one who told Lynn McDonald about me and invited me to the Nightingale Society. Yes, Barbie was so kind as to mm-hmm. review the Channeling Florence Nightingale book as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, she's here in Santa Fe, so you need to come out and visit us. I know. I know. We've met like on Zoom or something, but I haven't actually shaken her hand. So definitely mm-hmm. my list of things to do. Wonderful. So, so going back into your history, you have done many, many things. So you've been an award-winning actor, you're a speaker, you're an author, you're a filmmaker, you have been around several different blocks. And right now you're working with individuals and corporations to improve leadership, communication, and team development. And you've even been featured in Forbes magazine. You're president of the National Speakers Association Northern California. 
and you've been dean of their Speakers Academy, and you've been on TV, you've been on screen, you've been in commercials, you've done voiceovers. So tell me a little bit about this. this I, I see you as a polymath. You're one of those people who has your fingers in many pies and are good at a lot of things. So tell, tell us a couple stories about all these different iterations of Candy Campbell. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I guess we could start with, this is a nursing audience, so that whole shift in how I got from being a professional actor to a nurse. And, you know, I think, especially when I asked my students why they came into nursing, there are certain reasons that is are pretty common. And one of them is that we thought of it or dreamt about it, liked the myth of what it meant to be a nurse, or were drawn to caretaking at an early age. And that really is the genesis of my path towards nursing. You know, I'm an adult child of alcoholic parents, and my parents were very functional. Dad had his own business and everything, but I do recall from an early age, I was the only girl and I'm the last of a few in my, the other two in my family by many years. And I do recall as a young person, about eight or nine years old, the first day that my mother asked me to stay home from school and take care of her because she had a sick headache. And so I later understood that was because she was hungover. And, you know, as a young child, it didn't matter to me because I was getting out of school. And, you know, I always liked school well enough, but to stay home and have the full attention of my mother to me was a big plus, wasn't something I always mm-hmm. had. And, you know, you grow up, you get interested in other things. And for me, I've always liked the psychology behind the human experience and acting allowed me to slip into somebody else's shoes as it still does. And I really liked that and found out that I had an early proclivity to it and that, you know, I was gifted in that area. But what happened after I had my first degree in speech communications and acting and I did I did a fair amount, I had I had what they call a casting couch experience. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. I graduated from college and then was cast in summer stock in a lead role. If you remember the old um, Barefoot in the Park. I do very well. It's a fun, it's a fun show. And one night when we were still doing blocking, the director that I knew from a long time before, because he had been a director of mine in college and I had even babysat his kids. He, um, Well, let's just say that we were alone that night because the other actor who was the other lead couldn't be there. And he sort of uh, made the moves on me. And when I basically shoved him across the room, he told me that since I was planning on being an actor, that this was part of the game. Um, Yeah. I see. This was way before the Me Too movement, obviously. Way before. (laughs) It was in the 70s. And God, so, this happens to, has been happening to women for forever and a day. Yeah. So I said, uh, not me. 
And Mm -hmm. I actually walked off the set and walked off the show. And I can just hear his words, you know, you'll never work again. That's like so so (laughs) stereotypical. Like right out of a movie. You'll never work in this town, honey. Yeah. (laughs) So I basically didn't act again for 10 years. I just thought, well, that's it. So therefore, I was not knowing what to do. And the other thing that happened was that my uncle, my shirt tail uncle, was a private pilot. And Hmm. I remembered having gone up in an airplane with him, with my dad. And when I was again, I was maybe 10, something like that. And we, you know, this is, we went to the airport a long time before any security. You know, you could just walk around and go right out into the field and all of that. And wasn't that awesome back then? <laughs> God. Flying was so much more fun then. And I was yeah. impressed by the the women who were in their flight attendant uniforms and all of this, you know. And anyway, my uncle was uh, was saying after we went up and I did well. I didn't get sick. My dad did, but I didn't. <laughs> in the airport, mm-hmm. he said, "Well, maybe someday, you know, you can be a stewardess too." And so (laughs) I thought about that again, when I came home from college and was doing some odd jobs. And my mom said, Oh, here's something in the paper, Pan Am's coming to town. You know, it says you have to speak another language. Why don't you go and, you know, apply? And I thought, well, I'm too short. I'm only five foot two. But I speak some German and French. And so what do you know, they hired me. All right. So that's to me was just an opportunity to study dialects, which I mm-hmm. for five years and lived in London for two years, as I mentioned. So that was uh, that was excellent. But by the, about the fourth or fifth year, I got kind of tired of the. It, I was gone a lot, you know. I think my biological clock was ticking, and I wanted to settle down. And I was gone like twenty days a month. You know, we mm. all around the world. So one day we were flying, and I'll never forget this, one of my signature stories. We were flying from New Delhi to Karachi, Pakistan. And it was summer and it was hot. And I do recall that we were having air conditioner problems on the tarmac. It was like 120 degrees outside. And all the people inside, we were on a big 747. And I was, my colleague and I were um, assigned to the back of the cabin in the 747. That's 124 passengers. The place was packed. And when I say packed, I don't just mean people. We had chickens and ducks and (laughs) anything they could, you know, scoot under the seat. Um, Right. International laws are a little bit different. And uh, for flying. And, you know, in the day, we would serve a warm three course meal, chicken, fish, or steak to imagine. Yes, to everybody, and, including the ducks and chickens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perhaps. And so after that, evidently, we hit some violent turbulence. Mm. And the seatbelt sign went on. And there my colleague and I were discussing what we wanted to do later in life. We were both kind of getting tired of 
flying and thinking of what else is in store. What's the next chapter? And I told her I'd always wanted to become a nurse, but my high school counselor said, gee whiz, you're only getting B's in science and math. Maybe that's not your path, you know. And then we witnessed 124 passengers vomit in unison. Wow. We took... That's a lot of vomit. Oh, man. We took a big dive. And Mm. at that moment that I recognized later, there are two types of people in this world. There's the kind of person who goes to help and the kind of person that goes to hide. I went to help. (laughs) (laughs) My colleague went to hide. Your colleague went in the bathroom and shut the door. (laughs) And afterwards, he came back out and, hey, Keith, do you remember that in the airlines in those days, everybody had a blanket? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was nice. Yeah. So what I had been doing was getting up, getting the blankets out, covering up the filth, and helping people best I could. You know, it could do much. Oh, but we came back. Oh, candy. And she, and she said, I don't know how you do that. I said, well, you know, I breathe through your mouth and everything. And, and I said, you know, it is so sad that they were sick. But in another way, you know, ribbons of vomit – it was kind of artistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you for looking at it in a creative way, reframing the um, the emesis, the, <laughs> she said you got the emesis challenge. Oh, my God. You had that sixth wow. humor, you know? You really should be a nurse, so. Yeah. You're already having the gallows humor. You might as well. Right. And then you were like, I'm definitely not going into gastroenterology. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Candy, that is such a good story. And we're going to take a really quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about your books. And I think we're probably done with the vomit. That would be good. Um, We'll move on to your books and a little bit more of your story and um, definitely dig into this whole improv idea. So we'll be right back for the second half. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of the Nurse Keith Show, just like other listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support the show, you also get some pretty nifty premiums and gifts directly from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash nurse Keith. Also, please consider signing up for my newsletter at nursekeith.com so that you can receive my bi-weekly message just for you. Finally, if someone you know could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, even if they do one session, you'll receive credit for one hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit. And you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. Remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits over time. What a deal. Those are my sincere asks of you, dear listener. So now let's dig back into today's topic. (music) 
Well, welcome back to the Nurse Keith Show, episode 225. We're here with Dr. Candy Campbell. Candy, we were just talking about an incredible vomit related incident on a plane before you were a nurse and you were a flight attendant. So what happened to turn you into a nurse? Was it this this cleaning up emesis that was the turning point for you? <laughs> it was it got me thinking. Yes. It got mm-hmm. me thinking. And so I went to nursing school and immediately realized number one I'm going to have to study really hard because Mm -hmm. anatomy, physiology, all of that did not come easily to me. I had to go back and take a refresher algebra course. Me too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. (laughs) Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. So you did that. And what did you realize about yourself when you went to nursing school? Did you realize like, oh my God, this is what I always wanted? And was it like that? Or was it not quite as as momentous as that? There was a lot of that. Because, mm-hmm. you know, as a flight attendant, I felt very good helping people. Um, whether or not they needed assistance, not, you know, just by getting sick, but you know, we would help with currency conversion and I would translate a lot because like I said, I had one German speaking grandmother and one French speaking grandmother and I had studied those languages. So, you know, I was pretty conversant in both and it was good to help people. And I liked that. And Mm. so being, Mm -hmm. well, here's another thing. Um, In nursing school, I was one of 27 in my graduating class, and there was only one other person, no, two other persons, who were over the age of 30. And, oh, okay, I wasn't quite 30. But anyway, I had had another life, and other people, these other people and I had had another life. The rest of the people were coming from high school. And the thing, right, you know, so there's a big difference in terms of life experience, And also, because when I worked for Pan Am, they realized right away when I was in the training school, which is like four weeks, that I had had public speaking experience, etc. And so right away, they said to me, we'll give you X amount of hours per month credit if you will be on, because I was based in New York at first, uh, if you'll be on our PR team. So they, they basically paid me to go around speaking publicly on behest of the corporation. Sometimes it was at trade shows and things like that. But, you know, a lot of times I'd go out to schools for career day or, you know, whatever. And uh-huh. all that to say, they had a very uh, succinct, I want to say, message, a brand name and a vision and a mission that we were indoctrinated with. And of course it, you know, it was diverse and it was everything that I agreed with. There was nothing against what I agreed with. We were the flag carrier for the world for, for America, excuse Mm. me, but we, the world. And so we were ambassadors and that's the way it was looked upon. And I, I am face to face with many notables, not only celebrities, but political figures, et cetera, et cetera. So 
I was able then to speak with lots of different people. And this really helped in nursing. Uh-huh. Right. Um, and, and so what I, what I understood right away was that the people who come into nursing with a different background, who have at least a corporate consciousness of public relations and being nice to people. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine that. Yeah. Customer experience, we like to say, Mm -hmm. right? That a lot of nurses who were very young, they had, a lot of them had actually hardly ever worked anything. And they didn't understand that the patient experience is so different that they should be kind and everything to everybody, which is, is amazing. You know, Nightingale would, just flip if she she would her, mm-hmm. or nurse ratchets around. So so for me it was everything that I wanted it to be. It was really making a difference in people's lives. It was intellectually stimulating because there was something mm-hmm. to learn. And you know, I say I've done womb to tomb for one reason or another. I've done pretty mm-hmm. much everything there is to do and enjoyed it. That's wonderful. And you, you're you now translating, no pun intended, a lot of your experiences into the written form. So you've written a book about Nightingale, and you've written some children's books, and then you have a new book that's just coming out. I'm actually in the middle of listening to the audiobook this week. So tell us your, your history as an author and your the books that you've you've created. Well, there's another story. <laughs> uh-huh. Love stories. Uh, but it doesn't really begin with, as an author. It begins as a filmmaker because I was a hmm. filmmaker before I was an author. See, I said you were a polymath because you've done all these different things. <laughs> exactly. Well, I was only a filmmaker because of my first one-person show. And that's, you see, mm-hmm. it all is this crazy quilt of experiences. Well, after my first one-person show, which was essentially a trunk show, and I did a lot of different characters, and it was for my uh, local, I think it was A1, or maybe it was AONE. I can't even remember which association it was. But anyway, then somebody asked me, you know, what am I doing after that? And I said there were two things that were top of mind. One of them became the second solo show. Uh, which was called Full Frontal Nursing, a Comedy with Dark Spots. And, Ooh, uh, <laughs> I like that. Full Frontal Nursing. <laughs> and that <gasps> that played, it was not about breastfeeding. That, uh, that, mm-hmm. that played in San Francisco for a number of weeks. And yeah, it was, it was quite successful in, in those terms. But the, and that was all about the HMO experience in the 90s that was distressing for nurses. But the other thing that was on my mind was that I had transitioned from ICU and ICU labor and delivery when I needed smaller patients because I had been in an auto accident. The doctor said, you need smaller patients. So I went to the Mm -hmm. NICU. So after I Got to be in the NICU for a number of years. Fascinating. So many things had trending every day. It was new. By 1995, 
something really interesting happened in the NICU. And that was that we were saving these micro premature babies and many of them to good effect. And so that started what a lot of us nurses were thinking about what happens to them when they go home. Mm. So I, I started a project which lasted five years and became an award-winning documentary film called Micro Premature Babies, How Low Can You Go?, which I am happy to report mm. still sells on four continents. You can stream it now. It um, it's, uh, was made for TV. It never got to TV, but it's about an hour's worth of TV, which is about 42 minutes, something like that. And as that was wrapping up and I had gone back to film school and believe me, that was not easy for me to learn either. I'm not a techie. Uh, what happened was that in the NICU, I had some younger colleagues. One of them got pregnant and we were going to shower her and she wanted some children's books. And I thought, oh, I know I'll get her that book. My mom is a nurse and I couldn't find it. And I thought, well, this is kind of crazy. I remember mm -hmm. sort of what it said. She's this, she's that, she's this, she's that. I tell you, I scoured the internet, the U-verse. I could not find the book. And so I remember laying down my head to go to sleep one night thinking, hmm, is somebody up there trying to tell me something again? Am I supposed to be, is this another project I'm supposed to do? I have to cry now. <laughs> I knew how the first project caused me to go to film school and I just was wrapping it up and it took so long. I never would have started had I known. But then I'm like, oh, well, this can't be hard. Okay. So that was the first famous book. last words. Yeah, right. So that yeah. became the first book. It only took a year and a half or so to finish that. My mom is a nurse. And so I was so excited in about, I think it was 2005-ish, when I started a different podcast. And it was um, about micro premature and premature babies, the preemie post, it was called. And I had hmm. one of the moms that had been in the film, um, you know, I had known her family now since her kids were little, had her over at my house. We're going to do a podcast. And I showed her the proof of that book. My mom is a nurse. And she said, oh, I've got your second book. Oh, no, I didn't know I was going to write a second book. She said, and she proceeded to tell me about the problems that some of the parents of preemies like her had had. And that was that they all knew they were preemie. They knew the word abstractly. But then they get to kindergarten and the teacher says, we want a picture of you. We're going to try and guess who's who now, you know, that kind of a thing. And so she confessed that she and her husband had taken all those pictures, put them up in the closet. And that was that they sent over. Well, she had twins. So she sent pictures of the girls when they were like 18 months old. And she got a call from the kindergarten teacher saying, you know, we really want those day old pictures, whatever. <laughs> so they were tasked with facing the girls with the pictures and explaining exactly what happened. And she said, I, I have a, I, I was a member of a blog, uh, twins blog. And she said, 
my girls were so horrified that we had allowed them to be stuck with needles and left them left us alone we went home and they stayed and we were they were with strangers anyway they've kind of freaked out and she found out that this was not uncommon so that basically became my second book and and was that a children's book yes that one is yeah good things come in small packages i was a preemie mm. She named Oh, nice. It. Yeah, she named it. She goes, I got the name for you. All I have to do is write it. I'm like, oh, okay. So that one now is used it by many NICUs in their um, discharge packet, I'm happy to say. And then came, hmm. oh, my grandma is a nurse. and uh, But meanwhile, the Florence Nightingale Project, when I discovered Florence Nightingale, in 2010. Now, you know, she's been around. We nurses know about her. Most of us had come across notes on nursing early in nursing school. But in 2010, the world celebrated her 100th anniversary of her death. And something quite amazing happened. And that was they started, thanks to Lynn McDonald and others, they started posting a lot of her works online. Mm. And I had finished one graduate degree and was on my way to this to the doctorate when I was uh, found them and started reading more and more. And I could not put her work down. Honestly, she just spoke to me like I think any nurse pretty much would you know, she comes from the Victorian era. She's a deeply um, faith-based person. Mm -hmm. And yet she pushed against a lot of the legalism that she saw within the caste system of Europe, of, uh, well, Europe, yes, and certainly in Britain. And she had a heart for all people, just like we hope all nurses do. And for her, it was a calling. You know, she, she documented four different times that she felt God himself was calling her to do something new, something progressive, something different for, for nurses. And so mm. I, again, was challenged. I was at a National Speakers Association meeting and a friend of mine came up and heard me chatting away about Florence Nightingale. And he said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You've had two one-person shows. You're an actor and a nurse. I go, yeah. He said, and now you're all enthralled with this Florence Nightingale character? Yeah. He goes, and, and you haven't done the show yet? I'm like, uh, oh, 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 maybe I should. And right. So, <laughs> so that led to the Florence Nightingale show. Exactly. And you, you embodying her on stage. Right. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. What that's wow. What a evolution you've been through. And, you know, before we wrap up, I also want to get to this whole idea of improv that you're doing, which I think Florence would probably really, really tune into. Oh, I know she'd dig it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't mind, if we move on, yeah. 
to you've you've done this show, you've been an actor, you've done all these different things, you've been around the block as a nurse. So where does improv come into all of this? Because you've you've been on stage, you've done all that stuff, but improv is not that. This is very different because this is improv related to healthcare. So how does that how does that work and what is your book about actually? Well, the book is called Improv to Improve Healthcare a system for creative problem solving. This really is the convergence in my mind of both the acting world and the healthcare world. Because as you know, as we all know, the IOM in 1999 came out and said that we're killing about, (laughs) it's not nice to say it that way, but so many (laughs) people are dying uh, needlessly from sentinel events in hospitals. And then another Another report came out in 2013, the James report that said, it's not just 98,000, it's somewhere between 250 and maybe 400,000 people a year that are dying needlessly. And when I took the team steps training, I realized that the the amalgamation of all these good ideas, combining the crew resource management and checklists and all of these different things were really good to get teams to speak together well, but that unless you know how to create a culture of safety so that new ideas can be heard, it's not just assertiveness training that will do it. A culture of trust needs to be created. And in my mind, having been an improv facilitator since 1995, way before I got into healthcare, I realized when I was working with Silicon Valley businesses who, who came to us after, well, I should back up and say, I used to have an improv company too. And, uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was, it was fun. Uh, I I was a stand up comic for nine years and, you know, after a divorce and I just needed to learn to laugh again and Mm -hmm. started taking improv classes and found, co-founded a a company. And this one night somebody came uh, and always, you know, they're always asking, did you really make it up on the spot? This kind of thing. And that led to us being invited to come and teach these principles to a group of engineers who he said wanted Hmm. to play nice, right? He wanted them to play nice. And as it turned out, I was the only person who had ever had any curriculum development experience. So that's what happened. And I knew that it was good for business. It was good for innovation. It was good for creating a culture of safety and unblocking the silos. So we call it tearing mm-hmm. down walls and building bridges. That's what it's all about. Wow. And when, when people think about improv, they're probably picturing like something they see on Comedy Central on TV, or they've been to an improv performance, you know, and I've experienced improv not in the performance venue. So I understand what it is you're doing. So what my my experience is that when we engage in improv activities, especially related around communication, listening, being able to speak concisely and clearly, cooperating with team members that when you use improv in a medical setting, and that doesn't mean we're like going into a patient's room doing improv. I mean, this is a bunch of healthcare providers in a room with a facilitator that a lot of magical things can happen when you're open to creative ways to communicate, right? 
and this this opens the door to a new way of being in the healthcare milieu and working with your your teammates, right? Right. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, I like when people ask me, well, what is it? Is it this comedy? No, what it is, it's like exercises, exercises to understand patient care and team building in the way that, let's say, a dancer or even a football player might go to the gym and work out. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. Not to be taken literally into the workplace, but just as you can't unring a bell once you hear it, once you've been exposed to these kinds of ways of thinking, it opens your mind to other possibilities. Mm -hmm. So that would mean like if we do some improv with our team, with a a skilled facilitator, and there's these chronic communication issues happening on our team. Let's say say it's the NICU, right? So there's chronic communication issues. People aren't quite hearing each other. There's, you know, barbs flying around and there's there's this lack of cooperation and, and curiosity. So when you go into this improv mode, off the unit, you can get back in touch with those creative ways to communicate and creative ways to ask questions and to watch body language, right? And listen. So it's basically just giving people tools that they can then translate into the clinical space. Exactly. Right. And you know what else it is? There's something, there's a little value added that doesn't always get talked about. But you know, when they say, if you want to have a team, you need to spend time together. And sometimes for team building exercises, they'll say, go on a scavenger hunt, you know, and create a team and do this. Or they'll say, have a potluck or something like that. And what we find out is that, for instance, when you have a potluck, very often people will talk to people they already know. When you have a scavenger hunt or some sort of team-based contest, the people who envision themselves with or who already have the title of leader will feel duty-bound to just take that leadership and everybody else just falls in line as they're supposed to because that's the way they've worked at work. But improv Mm -hmm. allows you to be equal and different at the same time, spend time together solving problems because that's what we know brings people together, laughing and solving problems. We give mm-hmm. them a neutral playing field in order to do this. It's not role playing like I'll be the patient and you be the doctor or something like that. No, we try specifically not to do that because mm-hmm. we want it to be neutral and fun and sometimes painful, but in a gentle way. Never, It's never shame or blame. It's always just exercises. We debrief about what we learned and how it's applicable. It's very, very powerful. People come away saying, why can't the rest of the world know this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've taken part in a bunch of improv in various types of venues, not not necessarily a healthcare venue, but I know how it translates to daily experience and it can be very powerful. So this book, Improv to Improve Healthcare, I have the audio book that I downloaded from Audible and it's also available in print. So if someone wants to read it, they can actually read it, though it's fun listening to you read the book out loud. 
but that's all depends what people are looking for, but they can go to Amazon to buy that. And then they can also go to candycampbell.com, right? That's all things Candy Campbell. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I would like to give your listeners a little treat. I would like, I would like to give them the first, let's say 20 people who contact me at candy at candycampbell.com. Campbell is Campbell. Mm -hmm. I would like to give them a free listen to the audio book. All right. Cool. Okay. So the first 20 people who email candy at candy at candycampbell.com can get a free listen to the Improv to Improve Healthcare audiobook. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Candy. So we will see who is listening Who's tuning in and who wants to hear this audiobook, which is really lovely. It's great to hear you reading your own work. So, Candy, I mean, you're you're a professor emerita at the University of San Francisco. You're still an actor. You still do improv. You're a writer. You're a nurse. You're a you're a speaker. You you do so many things. You are a true polymath. And I really want to thank you for being on the show and for bringing this wisdom to us and laying out all this, this Florence Nightingale stuff to us, because it's, it's a great thing to celebrate next year, especially with 2020 being the year of the nurse. So thanks for bringing that all to the, to the attention of everyone out there who wants to know or needs to know. Thank you for this opportunity. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to the Nurse Keith Show. Remember that the show notes for this episode are at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 225. And remember the first 20 people who email candy at candy at candycampbell.com can get a listen, a free listen to her Improv to Improve Healthcare audiobook. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode, and I want you to take inspired action every day in the interest of your personal and professional satisfaction and happiness. Did you know there are job listings at nursekeith.com? That's right. You can find jobs from Reload and ZipRecruiter in the resources section, as well as lots of other resources, including the ability to do free ACLS and BLS if you need to recertify. So head to nursekeith.com to the drop down resources menu to see all of that. The Nurse Keith Show is edited and produced by Tim Hollowell and his team at thepodcastinggroup.com. And Mark Cappy Spiesen is our social media ringmaster. Tune in again and again as we continue to explore how to powerfully elevate your life and career into your very own personal and professional stratosphere. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith signing off until next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Dr. Candy Campbell bidding you adieu from Walnut Creek, Walnut Creek, California. Thank you, Candy, and we will catch everyone on the flip side. <laughs>